There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I have two of my favorite, well, Jacob's here, one of my favorite uh, people to talk to, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'll tolerate Jacob on this podcast as well, I suppose. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. I, I expected that from Derek. but Two strays <laughs> yeah. right off the bat. Yeah, catch, catch one from Brandon, too. That kind of hurts. Hello, Jacob. How are you? Hi, Derek. I'm, I was doing better before we started this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched the Phoenix Suns just take apart the Houston Rockets. Uh, what was that, Wednesday night? And I was a very happy fan. Thank you to the Suns and to you. So who, whoever you know inside the Suns organization or close to the Suns organization, pass along my thanks to them. Uh, they are a fun team to watch. Devin Booker is happy, so I'm happy for you. And uh, they handed the Rockets another loss. I think they're four and nine right now, which for me, my team owns their pick as long as it <laughs> falls outside the top four. So I'm very excited about that. So thank you. Congrats on the Suns being good. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Uh, nice thing is they're not even close to playing at the their, their peak capabilities. So hopefully they can get that figured out at some point. But based on what I've gone through the last decade or so, uh, it's very much more enjoyable right now than it has been. It's fun watching DeAndre Ayton too, because he looks competent on defense. And then there's Mikhail Bridges. That's just arms everywhere. Arms all over the court everywhere. He, I watched him in the, the first game of the season against Luka Doncic. And I was like, this is a, this is the guy that I think is going to be the MVP in the season. And Mikhail is just locking him up. Yeah. He is uniquely, uh, there are a couple of times where Luka just like ran through him because he's like 230 pounds and, Mikhail's like 200 pounds, uh, but he's uniquely uh, equipped with his length and just his anticipation to defend what Luca likes to do. Cause he did the same thing in the bubble too. It just made life really miserable, uh, miserable for him down there. So uh is very fun to watch. Aiton, it's been a bit of a struggle um, so far this season, the last handful, he's really starting to kind of ramp it up and he was absolutely dominant against Houston, which is, Awesome to see. He's actually dunking the ball now. He, I, he, seven foot uh, freak athlete, giant human being, averse to dunking the ball for some reason. He just doesn't like touching the rim. So he had like five dunks, uh, I, I think. Uh, so it's it's been awesome uh, kind of seeing different parts come together. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them firing, like all cylinders firing at the same time, hopefully later in the season. Brandon, is that an Appalachian State hat that you are wearing? It is. Um, shared this on Slack. 1982, Appalachian State wore a great snow-capped A helmet, um, which I, I only knew as a helmet. And then I found somebody on Etsy who makes them. So 
1982, they wore this great logo that is an A with snow on it because it's in the mountains. And then Mac Brown came in for his one year at Appalachian State and ruined it all and changed the helmet. Would you advocate for them going back to that logo? It's a pretty cool logo. Yeah, I absolutely would. I mean, we saw the great uh, social media video, I think, when they announced an all-white alternate that was basically shot in the snow. Yep. Snow's a big part of the, the Appalachian State mythos. So let's let's do it. If you could change the logo or color scheme to a retro, um, retrofit it basically for any college program, is there one that immediately jumps to mind? This is completely off the top of my head. I did not prep you for this. So if you can't think of anything, it's fine. But I saw somebody the other day that was uh, basically taking shots at UCLA for going away from the powder blues to like whatever the midnight stuff the black jerseys that Adidas tried to do with them a couple years ago. Like, is there, is there a, a program in college football right now that you would retrofit if you could? Maybe Virginia tech, but I'm even hesitant with that one. Like the maroon and orange or whatever their official colors are called are, I don't love it, but it is them. Like, I can't think of another team that's like that. So that's probably a stronger argument for keeping it. I also, know that Penn State before it was blue and white I believe was black and pink think about that right there's no black and pink teams that would be interesting I'd I'd be willing to see that for at least one week a year I hope that North Carolina makes um, whatever the uniform was that they wore for their bowl game I hope they make that the full-time um whether it be home or away, one of their full-time options. That thing was gorgeous. And of course it was it, Mac Brown. It, it was ironically, he, he ruined what app state had going on in one year, but he, he did, he's done well with North Carolina in two years. That's a good color scheme to work with Carolina blue and white. But then when you can also like add in some Navy occasionally really sharp. Okay. So in Carolina, we'll try to, we'll try to tie this into the thing that we're, going to be talking about today in Carolina uh, Duke would be considered a basketball school. If I asked you guys, what kind of school is Nebraska? What would your answer be? Nebraska is a blank school. Fill in the blank. It's still a football school. Oh, come on. (laughs) Based on results of weight. Um, everyone calls it a volleyball school because they should. So how about that? Okay. <laughs> I, it's a, it's a volleyball school in a football state. So there you um, go. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, the it's, it's also a very strong volleyball state as well. Um, that there, there's no doubt about that, but I mean, football just from border to border uh, across the state, it's people are crazy about football. So that kind of, uh, I think that sport retains, uh, it's placed atop the, the hierarchy just based on the interest uh, surrounding it. But in terms of performance, um, obviously with some of the, uh, the other sports kind of weigh in there too. Um, some of the Olympic sports you can factor in as well, but uh, consistent uh, results. Volleyball is definitely top dog. You talk about a, what have you done for me lately? Kind of fandom. The hierarchy here would probably right now be like volleyball and then women's basketball and wrestling with the, uh, with men's basketball way down there, football uh, way down there. After that Iowa match or that Iowa duel, the uh, um, wrestling might have 
fall in there. A couple of spots on that list, unfortunately. Although, okay, so women's basketball. Uh, Amy was, Williams has the number yeah. two team here. I, I was going to say it probably fell a couple of rungs, but there really aren't anybody, any other teams to jump ahead of them. So maybe they do retain their spot at number three. Maybe. So volleyball. Volleyball is what we are here to talk about. I have you two here. Jacob, it's your beat. Brandon, you wrote a book with the head coach. You guys are both authority figures on this sport. I know very little about this sport. So I have brought you both in to do the uh, the heavy mental lifting on this podcast. We'll keep it short so that I don't, so that I don't like uh, take advantage of either of you. But um, we're recording this on a Thursday. So depending on when you're, you're listening to this, Nebraska may have already opened its volleyball season or will be getting ready to open its volleyball season. They start against Indiana on Friday, Friday night. Um, so I want to talk about volleyball. We have an issue that is coming out this month that will be hitting people's mailboxes soon that will have a heavy focus on volleyball. Jacob, you wrote a feature for that issue. Do you want to just real quick plug that before we dive into to kind of a discussion on this team? Yeah, sure. So um, we, we had our volleyball issue back in August like we normally do. Um, so this isn't quite kind of a full preview issue um, like we've done in the past. You can go back and either look at that um, look at that issue, kind of reread some of those features because that, that stuff still kind of holds up. I uh, wrote about uh, Lauren Stiverns there and her um, growth into a uh, team captain and a leader and one of the best players in the sport. Um, so I'll, I'll probably bump that story before um, the, the match starts as well. So you can look for that again. We put it on our website, but um, this issue, I, uh, if, if people have been hiding under a rock, uh, John Cook signed arguably the, the best recruiting class, definitely in program history. And it's arguably the best in school history, potentially. Uh, just based on the the rankings of these players. Um, I've seen people say it's like one of the best in the history of recruiting classes among any sport. Would you go I, there? I, can't, uh, I, I haven't done enough uh, stud, uh, homework on this to know exactly what some of the best ones, obviously the, the way that um, Clemson and Alabama have recruited in football um, kind of put themselves in, in that stratosphere all the time. Uh, some of the, the, the Duke and Kentucky classes in basketball, I'm sure somewhat similar, but I can't really think just off the top of my head, any, uh, any class that has the three, the top three players in the entire class all going to the same school. Then you have the 10th player in the class, the 16th, and you're rounding it out with the 70th best player in the class. So a six player class. So it's a big class, all full scholarship players, uh, again, Five of them are top 20 recruits in the class. And the, the 70th recruit is a local 6'4 middle blocker with a lot of upside. So um, it's, it's pretty special. You, you sign basically the best uh, recruit in, in the country at uh, every position but middle blocker. And again, you sign a pretty good one at, at that spot too. So it, it, it really is amazing what, um, what John Cook did with his class. And as I was kind of thinking about it after signing day and all this stuff, I was thinking back, it'd be kind of interesting to see how this class came together and kind of what the players themselves thought um, as kind of this process was playing out. So that's what I did. I went back and interviewed. I, I didn't talk to all six of them. I just uh, kind of stuck with the, uh, the local recruits. Uh, so I talked to uh, Lindsey Krause, um, Riley Gray, and Whitney Lowen's, uh, Lonstein um, to kind of just get their feelings on 
and, and their thoughts on kind of how things played out. So I kind of put it together in a timeline of, all right, this is when this when Cook really first started, um, put the idea together at, at that dream team camp in 2017 um, and just how it progressed over the next four years of how he was able to put this recruiting class together through the eyes of the players themselves. Brandon, these issues are always sort of a labor of love for you. How do you feel about this one that we've just sent off? I feel, I feel really good about it. Um, I think the, the feature that Jacob wrote, and I'm not saying this just because I took a shot at him that started the podcast to, uh, to try and build him back, to try and build him back up. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great read first and foremost, but that story to me, I think really exhibited the value of the relationships that Jacob is able to build in the prep space by going to all of these matches, all of these basketball games, all of these football games. Um, he knows these people, like it's not the first time they're talking to him. It's not just, Hey, would you talk to me for this story? He's been talking to them for, in some cases, years you know, the story has been on the table for a month or two now. Um, but I thought it was really a really fitting testament to that, to just the value of relationship building as, as a journalist. And I think it comes through in that story. Um, the issue as a whole, I thought was, was really strong. Greg had a really, Greg Smith, our recruiting analyst, had a really great feature on tight ends, um, which was, which was told in a unique way, I thought, in terms of talking to some of their high school coaches as much as the players themselves just about the it's kind of it's kind of unbelievable to think that okay tight end has been trendy for a while in football right like the patriots you know kind of started that and when the patriots start something everything kind of flows from there but to have guys who are like yeah they're at a high school level of this in their terms of their progression that but all kind of fit that mold of the jackknife player who you know can block if you need him to but also can line up in the slot or even out wide to have three of those guys within 70 miles of Lincoln is pretty remarkable. And Nebraska got three of them. Uh, so, so that's in there. Aaron talked to Randolph Kapai, the linebacker who's probably on campus at this point. Um, really interesting story from him. It's a really good Q and a Derek, of course you got, you got to talk to Bill Moose, which I thought was a really vital kind of capper to 2020 a year, unlike a lot of others, but also a look ahead and give us a good sense of, you know, it's good to talk to the boss in terms of where, where football's at. So I thought it was a really good issue. We've got some great wrestling photos in there from staff photographer, Eric Francis. And then John Peterson, of course, uh, handled a lot of the basketball duties for that. So um, it gets a little bit, you know, in the fall with these issues, you're, you're kind of, you're on football's heartbeat. Like, you know, the rhythm, it becomes a little bit more interesting in the spring. Um, becomes a little bit more experimental, I guess, um, or you just have the chance to try some things. So I thought this issue came together really, really well. Yeah, I'm excited for people to read it. Um, let's dive into volleyball without further ado. Let's start here. Let's say I am a casual, neutral observer, which, which I am. It's probably the best way you could describe me, um, who is looking for a team, a program this season to get behind, to root for, to be emotionally invested in. I would like you both to give me your best sales pitch. Why should I emotionally invest in this Nebraska team this season? Jacob, we'll start with you. So the, <laughs> my first uh, sales pitch would be they win. 
and they win a lot and they win at a high level in the best conference in college volleyball. So it's a team that you're, you're going to be uh, based on what uh, uh, I've seen a lot in, in some of my other beats recently and the programs I've covered, it's going to be nice going into every match and they come out, Hey, I'm going to get a chance to write about a win in this one. Uh, that's always more fun than the alternative. Um, so it, it, it's not going to be as stressful, I would say on, on the fan base for uh, tuning in and watching Husker volleyball. And then on top of the success, obviously uh, it, it's just a fun team. The personalities uh, Lawrence difference has really kind of emerged as the face of the program and a really outgoing person. Um, that's just fun to watch, whether you're watching her interviews, watching her play, um, really energetic and enthusiastic. And Nicklin Haynes is kind of the same way. So uh, it, it's a fun team to watch who wins a lot at, at a high level. So that, that's my sales pitch. They win. Good pitch. Brandon, what about you? <laughs> yeah, that that's probably the, the, the unique selling proposition, uh, unfortunately, if you're a fan of all Nebraska <laughs> athletics at the moment. Um, but to kind of expand on what Jacob said, and I wrote a little bit about this in the magazine, like Nebraska volleyball displays the culture that any successful college program is trying to get to, I think. It, it, and it doesn't matter the sport, um, just the way that they talk and they interact, the way that Coach Cook talks at press conferences kind of shows you, I think, it, it provides a, a real-time example of like, oh, this is what football needs to look like. And I, and I hate to like do that, you know, because I know that's kind of a, a breaking case of emergency type of thing. Like, oh, maybe football should just go talk to volleyball. Well, realistically, maybe they should because like they've got it figured out. And, you know, and, and it's so interesting. And I, you know, I, for a time, I thought I had a little bit of unique insight into this because I was able to to work on uh, a book with, with John Cook. But then I realized he like basically says it at every press conference anyway. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that was that was in there, um, which isn't a slight go buy the book, Dream Like a Champion, available wherever books are sold. Um, or but, on the bookshelf behind you. Yes. Yeah. I've got, I've got some copies. I'll send you one personally. If you need. Um, <laughs> they treat it as a year to year challenge. Like, you know, you think of, okay, you, you, you establish the culture, hopefully you get it to set and then you just like enjoy the reap the benefits of it. No, Nebraska really takes it year by year. Uh, and that's why like, you know, it, it came up in his initial press conference. Like what's the, the theme, what's the motto this year? And it's just kind of an acknowledgement that, hey, these are all different. Like we're constantly cycling through players. We've had a ton of success. We have a ton of advantages. We're probably going to have more success. But to reach the ultimate potential of this group, like we've got to treat it as an individual unit. And I think that's interesting for this year in particular when they have so much back. Um, so there's going to be some new pieces, of course. There's going to be new challenges, um, certainly, with just the way this year has gone. Uh, how do they tackle those? Are they able to build the kind of team culture that takes you from, say, an Elite Eight or a Final Four to a championship or a championship match? And, and that's kind of the, the challenge for Nebraska. You're talking about very slim margins. They're going to be very good year in and year out. What separates those teams from those that get really, really close and those that win the final match? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I read this, I think, in Jacob's thing maybe 
two days ago. They were picked third. Two Huskers were named to the preseason All-Big Ten team. They return every starter from last season's team, correct? Correct. Is that uncommon? Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just like any other sport. It's, it, it's tough to bring back everybody every single year, and particularly from a team that's as good as they were. Typically, teams that are good, they've, they've got a lot of upperclassmen. Um, so the fact that you didn't have a single senior on the roster last year and you still have the success that they had, um, it does kind of create a pretty special situation. And that's why, um, Brandon talked about taking everything year by year and, and they certainly did that, but even like bigger picture than that, Cook really did see this as a two year cycle here with this team. This is what this kind of two year stretch is what he was building up for with this kind of most recent group of players. Um, and last year, yes, it, um, they wanted to go all the way. They, they were hoping to get back to the final four, fell a little bit short of that, but he said that was kind of them getting to the 50 yard line. So now this season with bringing all of those players back, that's uh, now you're marching towards the goal line from midfield. So you're able to kind of run it back here, look at everything that kind of held them back last year, improve on that and hope uh, it's enough to get you all the way this year. So, it was definitely a kind of a, a special situation. The, being picked third was certainly interesting. Um, I, I, I find it strange that the national coaches seem to have more respect for what Nebraska brought back and has than the Big Ten ones did because uh, Nebraska is fifth in the preseason ABCA coaches poll, but they were picked third behind Minnesota in the Big Ten poll, and Minnesota was picked seventh in the, the, the coaches' uh, top 25. So. Um, and Nebraska beat Minnesota head-to-head last year, and uh, they finished with the same record. Uh, Minnesota went, uh, went to the Final Four, but they also got to play Louisville while Nebraska ran up against Wisconsin. So, uh, And they brought back – they bring back a lot too and uh, enroll uh, top uh, – I think the second-best recruiting class in the country. Uh, but still, um, I, I, do fi- I did find that kind of strange just in the, the discrepancy within the two polls. It's just petty coaches, man. That's what it is. It's petty coaches looking at John Cook and saying, would you give us a chance for once? I think you wrote that they've been at, at least to the Elite Eight in the la- every year in the last five seasons. Um, and then they just signed, like we talked about in the Open, and, and you wrote about a tremendous recruiting class. Probably every other coach in the Big Ten is just like, dude, chill. Cut it out. It's like LeBron with the MVP award. Just, just leave us alone. Um, Brandon, this team – was an elite eight team last season what is the what's the biggest change or tweak that they can make should make have made will make that can get them over the top and back into the final four or the the national title discussion this season yeah i jotted down two things here i'm gonna leave one because i have a feeling i know where jacob might go um well, he might go here too, but this is one I'm taking out of the two options. Okay. I, th- I think they're going to be more dynamic uh, at what's essentially their second middle blocker spot. So they added Kayla Coffey, uh, a, a transfer from Missouri, um, who's, who's, who's a pretty dynamic and athletic player. And they also have Kaylin Meyer, a, a true freshman from Superior, 6'3", true freshman from Superior. So she enrolled you know, she would have been a freshman if they'd played the 2020 season on time. Um, Outstanding athlete was a two time Gatorade track and field athlete of the year at 
in, in, in Nebraska. Uh, and I'm pretty sure she was a thrower um, discus for sure. I don't know if she threw shot or not. And, you know, the, the history of extraordinary track athletes excelling in, in the sport that they choose to focus on in college is, is pretty strong. Uh, and, and coach cook said, you know, in the past week that they've got quite a competition going on there and, and Callie Schwarzenbach, who has manned that spot really for, for two seasons now kind of has a fight on her hands. So I think they have the ability to, to be a little bit more athletic there, a little bit more dynamic potentially. Um, and I think that again, with Nebraska, you're talking about such slim margins to improve upon an already high level. But that's kind of the first thing that I thought of. Um, no, maybe not the first thing. It's the thing I chose to go with. So there you go, Jacob. Teed you up. We'll see if you choose, choose right. Well, uh, the one that I had marked down is the serve and pass game. And that, <laughs> there we go. Yep, Brandon Celebrate, he knew exactly where I was going with this. And it really is kind of what John Cook has built his program on. The serve and pass game. Serve, pass, and defend. They've had some outstanding uh, offensive players, some dynamic hitters, great setters every single year. But what makes them elite is kind of doing the little things, the serving, the passing, and doing all the little fundamentals better than their opponents. And I think the reason that they fell short, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about an elite eight finish as a disappointing season and falling short, which shows kind of the standard that they have set for themselves. Which but is insane. I, it's, yeah, exactly. But it, it was a servant. They were significantly worse, I think, in the serve and pass game last year than they had been. And that is a, a, um, obviously Cook, Cook keeps different numbers to kind of keep track of this. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit harder to get a great feel for it just from the publicly available stats like serve, uh, like uh, aces and errors don't tell the whole story in terms of uh, serving and then kind of serve reception and all that kind of stuff. That's more of a kind of base level understanding of it, but it does paint the picture. They were significantly lower in aces, like their uh, ace to error ratio was significantly lower in, in volume. Basically you look at kind of their serving and their passing, they were pretty even with their opponents. And you look at those numbers the previous year and they had a significant advantage in both of those areas. So that's kind of where it has to be. What happened in those Wisconsin matches was Wisconsin put so much more pressure on Nebraska. They were always out of system. They were struggling to, to get passes uh, to the setter to kind of get in their offense, uh, giving up points um, with serve reception errors. And then they were not able to do the same to Wisconsin. Their serving just wasn't tough enough. And Wisconsin was in system the entire game. And that's why you ended up with three sweeps against the Badgers. And the Badgers brought almost everybody back from that team, including their best players. So Wisconsin was the unanimous pick to win the conference. They're not going anywhere. They're national runner up last year, preseason number one. So that, that, that's a, that's a big cl uh, mountain for them to kind of get over the top of this season uh, that's standing in their way. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they do get back to being an incredibly strong serve and pass team. And uh, Cook talked about, I, I asked him about this because I knew how important it is to him and he's talked about it. He's been really impressed with the way they've been serving in practice. Um, and he thinks that is one area where they have significantly improved. And he says there's eight players that he would feel comfortable putting in a match to serve right now. And typically the six best servers are the ones that get on, on a court for him. So he's still kind of figuring out what that lineup is going to look like. We've got a few 
newcomers that are kind of pushed. Uh, Keonale Akana uh, is a freshman defensive specialist, kind of looking to earn a role back there. They've got they've got some other players that need to get significantly better. Um, uh, Kenzie Knuckles and Maddie Kubik both uh, struggled in that area as true freshmen, but now they've got a, a full season under the belt. So hopefully they can step, uh, take a step forward there. So it, it's got to be that, that pass and serve game. That, that's a focus for Lexi's son as well, improving in the back row. Cook really wants her to become an all around dynamic player and an impact consistently, a consistent impact player. So it's going to come down to that, that, that serve and pass game. They've got to be a lot better there. And if they do, they've got more than enough talent to, um, to really separate themselves and the other areas. Is Kenzie Knuckles one of the best volleyball names in the country? Oh, yeah. It's, they, he's had some really strong names on this team. Obviously, Jazz Sweet for uh, going into her fourth season now, um, manning that, that opposite hitter spot. It's a pretty sweet name. Sorry. Um, but, hey. <laughs> yeah, he had to. Um, Lexi Sun yeah. gives you a lot of versatility, too. Indeed. So they, they, they've had some some really good names come through and uh, Kenzie Knuckles is right at the top. Yeah, when Cook, sorry to interrupt, when Cook said they have, he's excited about eight passers and they're going to have a hard time deciding on six. I, I like stopped and I thought to myself, I was like, if that's true, watch out everyone else. And we'll we'll see. We'll see if it if it ends up being the case, because as, as Jacob noted, you know, there, it wasn't as strong as you'd expect from what we've seen from Nebraska in the past a year ago. Um, if it is now, um, that's, that's a very good development for, for anyone who like listens to the IED preview podcast or has read something I've written recently uh, about football. I treat certain pass a lot. Like I treat success rate and that it's all about like, how easy are you making things on yourself with your ability to, to pass and serve receive and then how difficult are you making things on your opponent with your ability to serve tough? And it's probably um, 70% of the game in my mind. And if Nebraska feels like they already have super high standards, like if they feel good about it, uh, I feel good about the, the season ahead. Talking about swing players, like if this player is really good, Nebraska is suddenly at that next level up like a national title contender or whatever, or if this player maybe has a down year, you know, they're going to struggle. Who is, maybe it's multiple people, but if you had to, to pinpoint one player on this roster right now for this team that is most important, most impactful, most crucial for them to have a successful season by their standards, who is that person? Either of you can start. Uh, we can go with Brandon first. Oh, oh nope, he's seating the floor to Jacob. Jacob, you're up. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this one. It's kind of tough to pin it down because as soon as I settle on one person, I start thinking, well, actually, uh, if she does this, then could be even more impactful. But I'll, for this case, um, I, I wrote about Lexi's son um, on the website. So go check that out. So I'll go Nicklin Hames in this space, kind of hit a different, uh, different uh, base here. Um, and I, Nicklin has been obviously the starter from day one. She was a longtime starter in high school. She's an incredible leader, um, a very good player. I think she could step, take a big step forward, even in her consistency of her placement with her set, with her sets and occasionally the decision-making as well. And I think if she's 
uh, it gets to the point where obviously Kelly Hunter was just a phenomenal setter uh, and her, her, her feel for the game and her ability to put the ball just where it needed to be every single time was the driving force, I think, behind how good those teams were with her as a starter. And I think Nicklin is still, still kind of working to get there. And there are times where she's not on the same page with, with the middles, um, uh, particularly with, with the quick sets. And occasionally maybe um, she could make a better decision here, there, which, which pin hit her to feed. Um, and so I think if she can polish up just a little bit more, that will elevate the hitters around her um, to the point to, to where they need to be. They don't have, Lexi Sun's a really good player. Uh, Maddie Kubik was really uh, intriguing as a freshman, and we know how good Lauren Stiverance can be. But they don't have a Michaela Fecky style outside where she's just going to dominate matches. You can give it to her every single time, and she's going to terminate. Uh, they're kind of more of a balanced offense uh, with, with, the, with the, the weapons they have on this team. So I think that puts even more pressure on Nicklin to make the right decision and to put the ball, the ball in the right spots every single time to allow them um, to kind of do what they really do well. So I'm looking at Nicklin heading into her third season as a starter to, to elevate her play even more. I went with you to the final four in Minneapolis, I think two seasons ago, and I wasn't entirely like, like I wasn't 100% certain what I was watching most of the time, <laughs> but I did know that Michaela Fecky was an absolute stud. Yeah. She was incredible. She was doing stuff that, I was just sitting there. I was like, I am so small and so unathletic. It's ridiculous. Um, okay. Brandon, most important player. Yeah. I like, I like the, I like the Hames pick. I had her, I jotted down three options and she was third. And I would just add to all of what Jacob said, um, her health all of a sudden becomes super yeah. important and you don't deal with injuries a lot in volleyball. Um, which is another great reason this, this sport's a ton of fun to follow. Um, you obviously can, but obviously pandemic, like that plays a role here. Uh, Nicole Drunick, their backup setter for, for all intents and purposes, while their only other scholarship setter at the moment uh, opted out of this year, which leaves Nebraska with a walk-on freshman setter as, as their backup should anything happen there. So you can add that piece to it too, but for, for my pick, I debated between two. Um, and the, the first name I jotted down was, was Lexi Sun. Um, and a lot of this is, is covered in Jacob's story. So go read that. I won't spend a ton of time on it. But I think she's a really, really good player. And she, compared to, say, a Stiverens, so like you're talking the elite of the elite, and, and maybe even a Maddie Kubik a little bit as a, as a true freshman, she, she, her performance swings a little bit. Um, and, and coach cook talked about this, um, in the lead up to the season of just like, if she performs at her peak ability more consistently, I think that elevates Nebraska. I would also put jazz suite a little bit in that category as well. Um, if she has her best year and, you know, and she, there was an off season arrest coach cook was very complimentary about how she's bounced back with that. You know, if she comes back and has her best year yet as a Nebraska player, um, I think those are the things where you're talking about a team that's already in the 99th percentile. It maybe gets you that extra 0.8% uh, that puts you in a championship match, which would be effectively a home game for Nebraska probably uh, in this year. So those are the two that I went with. 
it's crazy how uh, when you're really bad, slight variations on the margins can be super impactful. Nebraska football is experiencing that. And then also when you're really, really good, slight variations on the margins can be super impactful. So um, thoughts on the scheduling model. Let's go here next. So the Big Ten kind of switched up scheduling. Um, when I first saw that this stuff came out, I was like, man, teams that would have to come to Lincoln are probably really, really excited that Nebraska cannot have fans in the stands for these games. Where do you guys stand on the way that they've kind of tweaked the schedule this year? Jacob, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And as someone who writes about all these matches, I don't love the, the kind of back-to-back against the same team because you're watching a team and then the very next day you're watching them play again and writing about the same team. So um, if the, the, the two matches end up following kind of the same script, it's going to be a, li- a little less interesting and varied in terms of um, what there is to cover. Uh, but it also could, pr- uh, as Cook talked about, it could provide some uh, the ability to kind of for coaches to really shine in terms of making adjustments and the, the tweaks you do make. So it could produce a very different um, match in round two, especially once you get into playing against the better teams where you can't just roll out uh, y- your team and uh, expect that you're going to be able to have some success. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was reading your thing um, with the comments from Cook on this exact thing. And, and the thing that kept popping into my head was kind of has a playoff vibe to it. Yeah, it's quick turnarounds. Mm-hmm. But um, and then... Uh, like you would be in a series uh, with professional sports, you're playing the same team multiple times. Um, so game to game, there could be some swings or it could, again, uh, if, if you're talented enough, you could just kind of, Hey, we're going to do what we do and, and we're going to have success. So it kind of seeing that balance between the different levels of opponents that Nebraska will face um, and kind of how they compare one weekend to the next, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but uh I think as cook said, it gives them their best chance. It limits the, the travel as much as possible. It's not, uh, it's not the best in terms of um, com- competitive balance necessarily. And, um, and you're not going to be playing every team in the conference and all that. But um, I think this will hopefully give them a chance to uh, keep uh, limit exposure and give them a chance to play as many matches. Cause you're not worried about playing a match on a Wednesday and then, uh, the, the testing three days and playing again. It, it's if you make it t- to your uh, your Friday match, you're probably going to be good for the Saturday match as well. Um, so you can get those kind of matches in, get them knocked out, and then you've got the the, the five days or whatever to kind of go back, regroup, and kind of get ready for the next week and hopefully stay safe. Yeah, I, my my gut reaction to the schedule was kind of if Cook's intrigued, I'm intrigued. And you know, as Jacob mentioned, he asked him about this, and he's he flat out said he's like, as a coach, I love it. Um, so so that's interesting. Just kind of, and I agree with Jacob. Like writing about it back to back days is probably not going to be the funnest way to do it, but it's going to be interesting to to kind of compare and contrast those games because you kind of have to. Um, I, I, I do think it's advantage Nebraska um, with this back-to-back setup. Like Nebraska is just a team that can beat you multiple ways. Like if, if Lexi Sun's not on, on Friday night, you can probably still win. Um, if the next night, you know, Lawrence Stiverance is a little bit off, you can probably still win. 
Um, so, but Nebraska is not the only team in the Big Ten that can do that. Um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Penn State, I would certainly put in that category as teams that can beat you multiple ways um, and they'll have an advantage. The, the Big Ten, well, for a long time now has been the best volleyball conference in the country, top to bottom. I think this year it might look a little bit like there's a wider gap between the top and the bottom. And it might be due to just kind of the back-to-back format um, because those teams that come in with natural advantages, those programs that have been doing it for a long time, it makes it a little bit harder for teams like Michigan, Ohio State, um, Purdue that are trying to kind of catch that top group. I think it might make it a little bit harder for them to do that just by the nature of the schedule. That's interesting. I was going to ask you guys that question next because, you know, it, it's not it's not a perfect comparison, but just think about the way that this past Big Ten football season started with, with you know, camps being messed up, people being out with COVID, with with a bunch of varying circumstances and situations. Like we saw random results early in the season, a bunch of random results. And I was curious if maybe, you know, because Cook talked about um, Jacob in one of the pieces that you wrote. Cook talked about how like if a team wins that first game and they come back the next day is the motivation the same from the team that won or is it going to be like okay well we, are, we already beat these guys or and for the team that lost is the motivation going to be the same or is it going to be ratcheted up or whatever so maybe there's there's a chance for an uptick in randomness but it doesn't sound like you you would think that brandon yeah go ahead Jacob. Uh, okay yeah okay. yeah because uh, uh, I, I that's where i think uh, advantage for steady programs with great coaching uh, you have the kind of, again, the, the X is the nose factor of the coach making the tweaks from one game to the next. And then you have the, the emotional factor, the, the experience factor of, all right, we can't just uh, come in here and kind of go through the motions. We've, we know we have to be up uh, and ready to go for every match in this conference. And so, like Brandon said, I think if that's the case, Nebraska fits well into that category. You've got great coaching and you've got a high standard that he holds all his players to. And you've got a lot of experience within that. Um, so I definitely think that obviously the losing out on some of the, the, the home court advantage, that normally is a huge impact on Nebraska season and is uh, strong in their favor. So they're losing out on that. But the trade-off is, I think, uh, they will they project to do well in this area compared to some of the other programs in the conference. Yeah, I think – because what the college football example that you brought up, Derek's a good one. Um, college football is a sport that is largely one of haves and have, have nots. And the group that's in the haves changes a little bit all the time, but you know, you go 10, 12 years at a time where you're just like, yeah, that team's just going to be good. Like they recruit well, they have whatever advantages the game provides right now, whatever advantages they, they've engineered and they just live off of those. It's why, you know, every year over the past five, six years in college football, it's just like, oh yeah, it's kind of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state. And then the rest will sort itself out. Volleyball is that times like five. I mean, there's only, I think I'll get the number wrong, but there's like eight or nine teams that have ever won the national title in volleyball. And now the history is shorter, you know, it goes back to basically like the late seventies or the eighties when the NCAA started sponsoring an official women's volleyball championship. But it's, it's a sport that's really, really dominated by the, the blue chip programs. So I expect the crazy off season, the no start, although some teams did play in the spring, which would be interesting, including the number two team in the country, Texas. Um, 
seeing how that kind of pencils out. Um, but I think I expect it to only kind of underscore the natural advantages that some of these big time programs already had. So we've talked so far about um, wanting to get old and stay old and that being a point in your favor. We've talked about um, kind of being fundamentally sound in your play. Scott Frost is feeling pretty vindicated right now. So, um, no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, like I've never through, through these past three wild football seasons, football seasons that have seemed, uh, I don't know if off track or behind pace is the better word, but either one of those, like I've never doubted that like his vision of where it needs to get to is astute. It's just a matter of actually getting there. Um, which is not a hurdle that Nebraska volleyball has to clear. This should be good. You guys have convinced me I'll be a fan this year. If I'm allowed to be a fan. Yes, you are. Break any journalistic principles here. You've been to, you've been to, uh, yeah, you've been to a volleyball final four. So that also gets you in. Um, The other great thing that I, I forgot to mention about this is while it will be sad to not see a jam packed Devaney center, um, not see the road environment at Wisconsin when Nebraska goes there, which should be an absolutely huge two matches. Uh, the, the random volleyball fan is going to get to see more volleyball this year uh, than ever before. 15 of Nebraska's 22 are scheduled to be on TV at this point. Like you're going to be able to follow this like basketball, which is a pretty unique thing for this sport. And I'm super excited about that. Good for them. So, all right, well, I'll let you guys get out of here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, both of you. Jacob, sorry for taking shots at you in the open. Thank you for lending your expertise. Yeah, I think we turned around after a rough start. Okay, good. Brandon, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing uh, your your very colorful color black uh, sweatshirt jacket with us and uh, the, the wonderful Appalachian State hat. Um, if you go to hailvarsity.com, backslash Nebraska dash volleyball. I know that's kind of a a mouthful. You can find basically every single volleyball story that has been written on our website. That is the place where all of Jacob's volleyball coverage lives. You can go there and you can pretty much just go down the list and get yourself prepared for the season. Also be on the lookout for the magazine coming to your mailbox. And if it's not coming to your mailbox, then you should think about changing that. Go to hillvarsity.com and get that sorted out. Um, Keep reading. At HaleVarsity.com, we'll also have basketball stuff and we'll continue to have football stuff. Uh, winter conditioning for football starts on Monday. And, and we found out from Scott Frost this week that spring football is going to start a little later than normal, but we have a date for the spring game. So there's always football news. Volleyball starts up. Basketball is still going on. The women are playing. The men might play at some point the rest of the season. Maybe. We'll see. Hope everything is going okay with them. Um, Brandon plugged his podcast, the ID preview podcast. It doesn't have episodes right now, but make sure you subscribe to it. Uh, leave him a five-star review. It's really good. Also, Jacob has a podcast with Damon Benning, the Nebraska preps post game show. Subscribe to that. Craig Smith and Jay Foreman have their own podcast. The straight up breakdown podcast. We have so many, we have so many. And then Aaron and, and Sasha Durkin have their own podcast, the mind your own. Um, so you can get basically something for every day of the week and every mood that you're in and every sport that you want to read about. So keep reading HaleVarsity.com. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, guys.
Ahura Media Production.